everyone. Thank you for uh, joining <laughs> us for another episode of Cracking One Open with Mike and Elise. I'm obviously Mike. <laughs> I guess that makes me Elise. Does it though? I mean, I'm clearly Mike, but are you obviously Elise? I'm imposter, Elise. Sorry. What have you done to my girlfriend? Truth's out. Oh my God. Uh, you want to drink some beers with me anyway? Yeah, imposter sure. Why Elise? not? All right, cool. So what are we drinking this week, babe? All right. So tonight, this week, we are drinking a beer that I heard about because uh, as many of you know, I think I've said it before on the show, I work uh, at my day job as a manager of a movie theater and I am pretty much my, myself and my general manager are in charge of running our bar. So we are looking for a new tap to replace uh, Tenpenny Brewing. R.I.P. Old Burnside Tenpenny. Uh, Old Burnside no longer exists anymore. So uh, one of my liquor distributors really wanted to keep working with me because that was the only beer they carried that we had. So they tried to keep, they gave me samples and like, hey, put this on tap, put that on tap. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you be interested? And although ultimately there was nothing that fit the price range, for what they had that I could put on. He did give me one beer uh, that was fantastic <laughs> that we're going to be drinking tonight. And that is from Banded Brewing. Oh, so this is just a first taste for me. This is just a first taste for you. I have had okay, this. Okay, that's fine. This is, this is, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We can't go both in this. I thought we were sharing this no, experience. No, sorry. This, my, uh, my cherry has been popped on this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've imbibed. All right. Well, at least we know you can vouch for it. <laughs> so this is Banded Brewing's Viridian IPA. And now Banded Brewing is a little out of our uh, comfort zone from where we've been doing uh, beers lately on the podcast anyway. Where mm-hmm. I think every beer we've done so far is Connecticut, Has featured right? from Connecticut, correct. So this one is actually from... I Biddeford, s- Maine. Good. Okay, good. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> the brewery was founded in 2013. Um, and it was actually built at a historic location in a 150-year-old Pepperell Mill uh, complex, which I thought was pretty cool, you know. I do like when people take over old things, like yeah. Two Roads took over like the two old roads. factory. And <laughs> I, I think that's all really cool. Um, so Viridian is an IPA with an ABV of 6% using Citra, Summit, Azaka, and Chinook hops. And Azaka, again, is also used in one of our all-time favorites, Lil Heaven by Two Roads. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something that I see very often listed on a can. So I decided to investigate and I found out that it's actually it's slightly more common than I thought. It is formerly known as Experimental Hop 483, um, which, was re- <laughs> which was released to the market back in 2013. And is notable notable for its big citrus and tropical fruit aromas. Ooh. Um, it was bred specifically by the American Dwarf Hop Association, the same place that brought us the Summit variety of hop back in 2003. So Summit is also in Viridian. But Azaka is used mostly in IPAs, American Pale Ales, Saisons, uh, and fruit beers. And it's usually used with the dry hopping method, which really brings out the the full tropical fruitiness. So Viridian <laughs> is described by the brewery as having a soft, smooth mouthfeel that is vibrant with hops, uh, is hazy and heavenly in appearance with notes of orange creamsicle, candied Meyer lemon, fresh papaya and mango. Sounds pretty delicious. 
<laughs> and other reviews online tended to describe it as heavier on pine and grapefruit. And the grapefruit can also be attributed to the citra hop. I guess you're going to find out. I guess we will. Shall we crack it? Open. <laughs> What's the title of her? Is that the title O-M-G. of her thing? OMG. Oh, man. Oh, I get it now. Oh, it's funny. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Let's do it. Nice. Good cracks. Well, I will say the uh, the description of the appearance is is pretty accurate. Hazy and heavenly. I definitely get the the pine and the grapefruit on my mm, nose. Yeah. Would you like to talk a little about the the can art since that seems to be a favorite thing? I do. I really <laughs> like this can art. It's very interesting. I would I would actually really be curious to find out from the brewery what the artwork means. So the artwork has is it's a lot of shapes that come up that kind of create mm. the image that you see. A lot of lines, a lot of kind of shapes creating creatures and hops. It's all very foresty. In the center is what looks like a giant eye surrounded by leaves that actually create what is actually like a one-eyed monster kind of guy standing there in the middle of the can. <laughs> the can itself is a dark, dark, dark forest green. So this picture is a lot of light greens creating these monsters with a fire um, or fire pit on the bottom, lighting it up orange in places. Uh, next to the fire pit is a what looks like a growler. Then there is a Smokey the Bear looking guy yelling at the monster, it looks like. And like a couple of hands poking out of these looking like they're hop monsters or three eyed monsters. Hop monster. All done kind of like almost these shapes almost create monsters that you might see in like a Nintendo game magazine or something like that. So they're kind of cute, kind of kind of harmless little monster guys creating the image in the center with that eye looking at you. This orange eye. Um, And then that's it. The rest of the can just is the banded brewing logo down the center. And it's just a plain dark forest green written about the beer. It says verdant, harmonious. Piney, unwavering, main-grown two-malt English crystal malt, white wheat, citra, azaka, chinook, and summit hops, Sako river water, and yeast. So uh, that, uh, that's what they give you. So they're 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 all about that image, kind of drawing you into the uh, drawing you into the beer if you haven't already had it before. Like I said, I would have loved to keep put this in the in the bar at the theater. Yeah. Had it not been uh, a little bit on the pricier side for a log compared oh. to old Burnside Ten Penny, probably because it is from it's not it's from out of state, mm-hmm. and I, it's probably there's so much going on in the beer that yeah. it's just a more expensive beer. Um, that being said, the cans I purchased weren't that much money. Very refreshing, mm-hmm. piney. Definitely, I get the the grapefruit and the other tropical fruit. You get the kind of mangoey flavor at the end. A mm-hmm. little bit of sweetness. Yep. But the pine kind of goes along with, I feel like the pine taste that everyone talks about really does go along with the um, hops in an IPA. Oh, I feel abs- like it's absolutely. hard to find an IPA that's not at least a little bit piney. Unless you maybe go double or triple IPA. Yeah. Then it kind of loses, like loses that it. Or like sharpness. When you go super hazy and it's so fruity, it's like a juice bomb. Mm-hmm. Like the juice bomb beer, beers are tough. Yeah. But in a regular IPA, I feel like it's tough to say. Well, I can't taste that pine. So I feel like the pine is just inherent in what a hop tastes like. True. Yeah, this is extremely drinkable. Does not, I mean, not not that six point ABV is huge, but it, it doesn't taste that heavy compared to like a, a session where it would be, you know, between four and five. I feel like sessions are heavier beers though. Oh no, never mind. I'm talking out my ass. I'm thinking Saison's. <laughs> I get them confused all the time. Never mind. <laughs> 
I feel like sessions aren't that heavy. Do you feel like sessions no. are heavy? No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I mean, sessions are like one of the lightest in terms of IPAs you can get. Yeah. I mean, if you want anything lighter, you're going to go lager or a pilsner. Yeah. Um, definitely a pils. But yeah, I thought this was really good. I like the fruitiness to it. I like the IPA-ness of it while not being like, it's it's super hoppy without being a double, which I yeah. like. Um, and I feel like this is like as far as you can go. And probably because like you said, it's got like 50 hot different types of hot. Mm-hmm. This would probably be a very good with uh, pizza. It was really or good. Or something along like with salty the, and savory. Yeah. You know what I had this with? What? Like eight other samples of beer. <laughs> when I first had it. You lucky duck. Right? Mr. Bar Manager. It's pretty much the only perk. <laughs> that and the free movies. But I mean, honestly, once I'm out of work, I never want to come back to watch. <laughs> yeah. What's the perk of free movies that you don't want to watch? Yeah. So uh, speaking of movies, <gasps> I watched the live action remake of Aladdin. And what'd you think? I watched the live action remake of Aladdin. It's a ringing endorsement, folks. It's a movie. I watched it. <laughs> and it was a movie. Oh, man. I wasn't as excited for this as I was for, uh, I mean, not that I still haven't seen Beauty and the Beast or Jungle Book, but at least those trailers actually looked really good. And I'm super psyched for Lion King. So. Beauty and the Beast was was very good, although I think um, Be Our Guest was not as as good as the originals, which, mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough to beat that. But the rest of the movie was very good, and I liked all the new songs. Jungle Book, I very much liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I liked how big Christopher Walken's... Uh, <laughs> oh, what's his name? Bagheera? No, the big monkey. King Louis. King Louis. I don't know if I liked how big Christopher Walken's King Louis actually was in the film because he was like <laughs> baby Kong sized. But um, Jungle Book was very, very good. This was a movie. Uh-huh. The Arabian Night song. Not great. In fact, it's pre- it's bad. It's bad. Oh, and Street Rat. They almost ruin it for some you reason. Said that. <laughs> They do weird slowdowns during the song for no reason, only to keep up with pace. The only slowdown they have in the song, nothing is going on. The guards are running. They stop running. They go in slow motion solely because they missed the pace. And I feel like they didn't have any footage to cover that up. And they needed to cut to Aladdin singing his verse, but they needed to get to it first. So it slowed down for like six seconds for no reason. (laughs) Then speeds back up. Then there's some speed up for no reason, probably because they didn't hit the notes fast enough or they didn't. Do their move fast enough. It's just really awkward and really not that great. I kind of like, here's the thing about Iago before Mm -hmm. I get into the big one, which is Will Smith. Yeah. As, as the genie. Uh, So Gilbert Gottfried, I think he's burned all his bridges in Hollywood by now anyway, (laughs) but he is not back as Iago. But what I like is they didn't cast somebody else as Iago, Mm -hmm. nor does Iago just not speak because then why bother having him? Iago's in it. But he is a parrot, so he just kind of mocks people's voices. He's kind of like Iago in the scenes when he's not talking to Jafar. Mm -hmm. Because in the original cartoon, no one really knew he spoke other than Jafar. That's true. So he kind of does those wisecracking lines, but all the time. (laughs) So you can tell he hates, um, like, Apu, like, later on, like, Apu had beaten him up and stolen lamb from him. So later on, when they kidnap Aladdin at one point, he's like, where's the monkey? Where's the monkey? (laughs) Like, he's looking for him because he wants to beat him up. And he says stuff like that, and he kind of pokes fun at Jafar sometimes. Second best. Second best. (laughs) So, like, he just kind of gets on Jafar's nerves and everybody's nerves, and I kind of like that. And although Will Smith does a, I'm sorry, Will, because I love you, terrible Arabian night. 
Oh. He makes up for it with Prince Ali. Okay. Prince Ali is the best part of the movie, but one of the only good parts of the movie, I think. I think that's really well done. See, he sings for me, it, what's up? Will Smith seems like he would be the saving grace of the movie. And not that Robin Williams can ever be replaced, but it seems like he is really what would tie the movie together. I will say, although, I mean... Some of the stuff I don't like about it is the fact that he is not Robin Williams and you can't redo it. So mm-hmm. the pr- Prince Ali, uh, the pro- whole parade is fantastic. I would love for this. Uh, like it, Maybe the Blu-ray will come out around Thanksgiving and they'll do this in in New York. Mm-hmm. But I would love for this to be in the Macy's Thanksgiving. Oh, parade. that would be great. And they do um, part of Prince Ali through the streets because it really is great. And mm-hmm. it really is just this really cool parade scene. And it's pretty funny and it's well done. And it really works with... Um, Will Smith's talent. Not that Will Smith can't sing because although he's Obviously bad at that, he can. Prince Ali is singing and he does well with that. Mm-hmm. And the scene that precedes that is really well, is really good as well, where he's trying to teach Aladdin to present himself as the prince to the sultan yeah. and Jasmine. And he just, it's just so awkward. And he, even the genie has a line, you know, in 10,000 years, I have never been this embarrassed. <laughs> Uh, and it really is this really awkward scene, something you would see in like a uh, sitcom nowadays, like New Girl or, um, mm-hmm. you know, The Office, something like that. So it, it is really good and really well done. And I say New Girl because there is a new character in the film um, played by Nassim Pedrad, who played Winston's uh, wife on the show. OK, Allie or Allison. Allie. Yep. Yep. Uh, so she's Jasmine's handmaiden and she's got an actually pretty big part and she's a actual love inst- interest for the genie. Interesting. It's really different, but it really works. And she plays her character with the kind of gusto and attitude you'd you'd see in a cartoon version of Aladdin. So she kind of evokes like a Disney, old school Disney attitude to the proceedings. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. And it really works. And I believe, I mean, most of the characters are Middle Eastern, of Middle Eastern descent. Mm -hmm. So she is uh, Iranian, I believe. So it kind of works into it. And I believe Agrabah is based where people are pretty sure the fake kingdom of Agrabah is, yeah. is um, ancient Iran anyway. Okay. So it really works. Um, everybody keeps pointing out uh, you ain't never had a friend as mm-hmm. a big moment. Like, oh, he messed it up or he did a good job. Some people are pretty divided, I think, at the theater at least. Okay. I'm kind of, I don't care about it. Mm-hmm. It's not great. It's serviceable. It's certainly not what you want. It's not, it's not going to be the thing you remember the most. Like you remember... There are two things you remember in old Aladdin the most. Whole New World and mm-hmm. Friend Like Me. Yeah. And this, I feel like it's probably still Whole New World. And then Prince Ali. Okay. Uh, Whole New World is great. They do sing it very well. I will say uh, Naomi Scott has a fantastic voice. And she is a singer as well as an actress. So that really works. Oh, okay. Uh, what's really awkward and off-putting is to me and uh, my buddy Mike Field, who works at the cinema with me, also plays... Um, or is my partner in Forgotten Cinema. Mm-hmm. When we were talking about having watched the movie, he talked about how we both talked about how Naomi Scott looks exactly like kind of a Middle Eastern Felicity Jones from Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Oh, so okay. Once we kind of honed, honed on that, it became weird to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but she does a pretty good job as Jasmine. And the guy who plays Aladdin, I don't know if it's Mena or Mina. I want to say Mina. Mina Masood. He's of Egyptian descent. Um, that uh, he's Canadian. I was a little worried because there's a pre-show that happens before all the movies where him and Will Smith talk about mm-hmm. 
being friends and they, they're just really awkward together and they don't <laughs> seem to have a lot of chemistry. But in oh. the film, they, they have a decent chemistry and he's actually not bad as Aladdin. Okay. Um, it does look like he's wearing a hairpiece, even though he clearly has hair. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if it was that hairstyle or nothing. It's clear he's wearing a hairpiece during the film, which is a little weird. Yeah, that's off-putting. Yeah. But he does a pretty good job. Again, he sings his parts re- uh, pretty well. He does do a good job at Whole New World. My complaint with Whole New World is it hits all the right beats. Mm-hmm. They do go through a lot of the same things, but they only stay in Agrabah, basically. And oh, they well, go to the that's not area. a Whole New World. Yeah. Then. <laughs> they don't go through the world. They don't go to, you know, they don't go by the pyramids. They don't go by, you know, it's through the Wall of China. They don't go anywhere like that that they did in the cartoon show, which I get. Like, okay, it's supposed to be live action. Are we? But are we supposed to take it seriously when there's a monkey that has a mind of his own and steals and is a kleptomaniac <laughs> and is best friends with a magic carpet rug? I mean, and there's a blue genie. Let's go to these other places. Let's see this whole new world. But other than that, it's not bad. They do kind of change up the story a little bit, but nothing too strange. Okay. I'm not a fan of the guy who plays Jafar. I didn't think he did a very good job. I think he was just kind of boring. The part was written, I mean, he was uh, Marwan Kanzari played the part. I feel like I've seen him in other things. So I don't think he's necessarily a bad actor, but I feel mm-hmm. like there's there's no meat on the bones for that part. And because it's live action, you can't overplay it. Yeah. Like the part was played in the original Disney movie. So the only part where he gets really kind of fun evil is obviously spoiler alert for a film that was made 27 years ago <gasps> when Jafar gets turned into the bad genie. <laughs> And he gets all like, how could you have done this to me? You're coming with me, parrot. I'll get you. Next. And he like grabs Iago and they get sucked into the lamp. That kind of overacting, I feel like, could have been used more in his character because mm. he just didn't come off as evil. He didn't come off as necessarily like, like he was clearly bad, but for bad sake, it just wasn't like I didn't hate him. I just didn't like him. So it's like you're not a very strong villain. Me. And a Disney villain needs to be strong, I feel. Yeah. So overall, Aladdin has a few shining moments that I, I kind of liked. I would watch it again with you if you really wanted to. Um, but I think <laughs> I you should watch. I don't know if I want to. I think you should watch Beauty and the Beast and The Jungle Book first. Those are definitely the superior live action remakes thus far. Okay. Hopefully, Lion King is amazing. It's I really done by hope John so. Favreau, who did uh, Jungle Book. Donald Glover, Beyonce, John Oliver, John Oliver, Seth Rogen, and James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones is Mufasa. Like. I have such high hopes. I, I really hope I'm not as disappointed. So yeah, that's oh, my review of so Aladdin. It's a movie. It was a movie. Not <laughs> terrible. Not great. Bring Godzilla. Let me let me see my Godzilla. That's fine. Anyway, so that was my review of Aladdin. What you got? Well, I was just reading about the uh, the official premiere date for Between Two Ferns, the movie on mm. Netflix now has a. A date, a release date of September 20th. And for those of you who remember, Between Two Ferns started back in 2008, which is kind of crazy, um, as a series of comedy shorts on Funny or Die, starring uh, Zach Galifianakis as this super dry, really awkward host um, who had some pretty great interviews, actually, with people like uh, Ben Stiller, Steve Carell, Natalie Portman, then President Obama, uh, Brad Pitt. And it, the the movie was actually co-written with Scott Ackerman, who directed most of the episodes of the original series. So nice. it's nice that they're getting back together for that. 
And according to the film's official synopsis is after Will Ferrell discovered his public TV access show Between Two Ferns and uploaded it to Funny or Die, Zach became a viral laughing stock. Now Zach and his crew are taking a road trip to complete a series of high profile celebrity interviews to restore his reputation. And some of the previously rumored guests include Peter Dinklage, Ed Helms, Bradley Cooper, who I believe was also one of the original people mm-hmm. yep. uh, who were I interviewed, Keanu Reeves and David Letterman. Nice. So I'm looking forward to that. I've always liked Beyond Two Ferns. Yeah. Between Two Ferns. It was always really good. Zach Galifianakis is great. One of his first comedy specials on Netflix was hilarious. I still I, remember his old Comedy Central one where he gets all his ex-girlfriends out to sing uh, oh. <laughs> sing the song and he dances in the leotard. <laughs> yes. I look like Fat Jesus, not P-H-A-T Jesus. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. Um, you got any other news or? I don't really have all that much news this week. Okay. But I I'm do have some. Though. I do have some birthday announcements, so I'll I'll let you do the news, and then <laughs> I got my birthday announcements. Okay, I'm surprised that you didn't want to talk about the uh, the new release date for Sonic the Nopog. No, um, because there's a release been... date for Sonic the Nopog, <laughs> and I need him gone. Well, well, hear me out. <laughs> um, so it's been pushed back to Valentine's Day of next year, following the obviously swift and intense backlash over the character's <laughs> image in the trailer. Um, so based on that image, the director, uh, Jeff Fowler, tweeted announcing the delay. The fans are now speculating that Tyson Hess, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he may be involved in redesigning the character, which he kind of cryptically also confirmed on Twitter. But he worked on the cutscenes for Sonic Mania, and he also directed the animated series for Sonic Mania Adventures. So that sounds like it might be a little bit more promising for the redesign. Maybe you might look forward to it a little bit more. They can make Sonic look more like Sonic, but here's what they can't do. They can't change the fact that Jim Carrey seems utterly obnoxious as Dr. Robotnik. (laughs) And I love Jim Carrey. I'm sorry, but that's not Robotnik, first of all. Second of all, he's just childish and annoying. Movies need to be nowadays that are kids' movies should be made with adults and children in mind. Especially one that is is a 30-year-old character where most of his fans are in their late 20s to late 30s. Yeah. His, their fans are not little kids anymore. His The Sonic games have not been as as popular as they used to be. The most popular one and most well-reviewed one was Sonic Mania because it harkened back to the 30-year-olds who bought it and played it like myself. Mm-hmm. It needs to be something more in the vein of the old Sonic. And that's something that cannot be fixed. You can you can polish a turd, but it's still a turd. <laughs> That being said, I will give it a chance. I don't want to undermine anybody's work. Making a movie is incredibly difficult work. The actors, the directors, the writers, we'll see about the writing. The (laughs) actors, the directors, the filmmakers, they're all working, acting against something that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And the filmmakers are putting, or the special effects people are putting something in that didn't exist. Sonic didn't look, Sonic looked terrible. Uh, it was oh, yeah. not there's, Sonic. There's no denying that. But I also don't. The people that keep pooping on him and being like, oh, that's not my Sonic. Just remember that the people that worked on him aren't necessarily the bad guys there. Yeah. I hope the same team at least is working on redesigning Sonic. You know, the graphic artists and stuff, the people that put the fur in there or even the human teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, they just did what they were told. You know, and he came out as a creature. Scary. He came out kind of scary, but at least he was a creature. So, you know, I, I just hope that the public who is merciless nowadays Mm-hmm. understand that you know it takes a lot of work to make these things and it takes a village to make a movie not a, a single person this is you true know, not to blame the people that made sonic for his terribleness there are probably a lot of corporate decisions that made into make making sonic look that way a lot of people who've never Which seen is, it and stuff like that 
awful to think about that like that many people had a hand in such a terrible decision oh there's too many cooks in the kitchen with stuff like that and that's why movies i think many cooks i love good makeups but i think that's why i think it went bad things like that go wrong is no he should have this and he should have this and they aren't true fans Mm -hmm. they're just people who think they know what's right and they're like well studies have shown that people like beefy legs or they (laughs) like human teeth in their animals and it's like they just let's give them calves they just throw out these weird things that they've gotten from opinions on other people and I feel like there are a lot of companies that have gone done very well with pulling the fans. And clearly now they're listening to fans of Sonic because now they're realizing, oh, maybe I won't make money. Yeah. But people should have realized that a long time ago is, is give the people what they want. Give the people what they're asking for or even just ask, you know, a lot of people like I think Kurtzman and um, Alex Kurtzman. On, I'm going to go back to Star Trek every time I think on this show. Every for time. Some reason. <laughs> when they were doing the original Star Trek movie, he was on the Trek websites and stuff like that and mm-hmm. on the forums and be like, hey, guys, what do you think about this? And what, what do you guys think of that? And oh, I, I, I'm hearing you guys out. We hear you guys out. We want to add stuff like that to the movie and really get a a good grasp on you know what the fans want as, as well as what the public might want to see in a star trek movie you know a little bit more action a little bit more excitement and i think that's why star trek 2009 the i don't want to call it a remake but the new kirk and spock adventure it really was a fantastic movie and, and the best of both worlds satisfying most trekkies and 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 the general public as well and that's what people need to do now is really work with the fans there's so many outlets where you can really reach out to people and say hey what do you guys want to see that there's really no excuse when you have a beloved character or creature or franchise and not reach out to the fans and say, what are you guys looking in a Sonic the Hedgehog film? Yeah. How hard is that? It's not. And especially when, you know, for better or worse, now you are going to face that either outrage or outpouring yeah. of love via Twitter or Instagram or what what have you. Like, it's inevitable. Exactly. Now it's delayed almost a year. Who knows how many millions of dollars are going to have to sink into new marketing materials, into creating the new Sonic the Hedgehog, into re-releasing the film, into trying to get back any goodwill of the people. I'm sure PR-wise, they have to reschedule like James Martin's and Jim oh, yeah. Carrey's press tour for it. I mean, these things aren't easy and cost a lot of money. And if they had just gone the route of asking the fans and figuring out what they wanted, none of this would have happened. It's true. So, no, I didn't want to talk about Sonic the Notebook because I feel like it's a downer. And I'm sorry you had to listen to that. Well, let's lighten the mood and uh, get back to your your birthday announcements then. (laughs) Happy, happy birthday from all of us to you. We really think you're awesome. So have a good one, too. Hey, I don't know. That works. Yeah. All right. So we have three birthdays today. Three. First of all. I'm going to go in. I don't want to. I want to say which ones I like better because all three franchises really mean a lot to me. (laughs) So I'm going to go in alphabetical order. We're going to start with the 40th anniversary of Alien. 40th. 40th anniversary. That's right. The big 4-0. So Ridley Scott's Alien is now 40 years old. And uh, I mean, that really paved the way for a lot of science fiction to come. Ridley Scott really uh, mentions uh, in one of the Alien documentaries I saw Star Wars as an inspiration because... You could be gritty. You could be gross. Your, your mm-hmm. sci-fi and, and ships didn't have to be great and clean. They could be dirty and muddy and lived in. And that's yeah. really set the style for tons of sci-fi. Tons and tons of sci-fi. But specifically, the Nostromo, Ridley's ship and her crew on the mining mm-hmm. ship, you know, it is dirty. It's dank. Not only just like the obviously the mining parts where that just water dripping everywhere, cooling all the mm-hmm. equipment and the and I guess the ore, whatever they're mining, <laughs> um, but just the living quarters and the space and everything's got buttons and panels and grates. And yeah, it's not like it's sleek yeah. and modern and yeah, they're eating, you know, meal replacement meals and, mm-hmm. and 
drinking probably terrible coffee out of steel cups. <laughs> and the film really set the stage for like psychological horror, between, not just the alien, but you know, you've got the, uh, you got androids, you've got the, the void of space, you've got the face huggers, mm-hmm. you've got each other. And nobody trusts Ripley because she's a female. And Dallas is kind of the, the captain, but he, he doesn't really want to take a woman's point of view in, a, in kind of a subtle way, but it's definitely there. And you know, watching these people get beaten up and killed one by one, starting with uh, John Hurt, actually, as Kane. And when Kane, you know, goes down on the table and the chestburster pops out. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, Ridley Scott didn't really tell them what was the rest of the cast, what was going to happen when Ooh. the chestburster came out. They told John Hurt. And obviously oh, they that's had, good, I guess. They all had some idea what was going to happen. He was going to seize up and they were going to have to surround him. And, you know, mm-hmm. the alien was going to be born. They didn't know. How? How? So when they're freaking out because the chestburster pops out of his chest. That's their genuine reaction. No one on set knows that that's what it's going to look like. (laughs) No one on set that that's where it's going to pop out. You know, that blood lands on uh, one of their, I can't remember whose face it lands on, but the blood lands on somebody's face and they're screaming and they're freaking out (laughs) and they're holding them down and he's crying bloody murder. You know, all that. And this alien comes out like, like no one realizes that was what was going to happen and it scoots off. So that's genuine horror. It's, it's, you know. They had some idea, but it's it's pretty. Yeah, I mean, this is 1979. Yeah, so it's probably filmed in 19. What they probably filmed it in 78, mm-hmm. maybe 77. I don't know how long it took to edit and get the rest of the effects in, but yeah, you're talking. This was the first one. This is it. And whew, other than like The Exorcist and stuff like that, that kind of body horror to that degree doesn't really exist. Yeah, so that's that's pretty creepy. Um, and obviously, Alien were on to spawn. So many careers, Sigourney Weaver, um, John Hurt was already mildly successful by, by then, but, you know, he kind of took off the whole franchise as a whole. Just, you know, we got aliens out of it, which yep. kind of helped James Cameron to become a household name. True. And establish Sigourney Weaver as not just the last survivor of the Nostromo, but, you know, badass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. And, you know, no matter what you think about the preceding Alien films after Aliens because Aliens is really good. You, you can't deny its effect on popular culture today. Video games, movies, oh, yeah. magazines, comic books, TV, everything is uh, so much sci-fi is inspired by Alien. True facts. So, happy birthday, Alien. And uh, May you burst out of many more chests. Indeed. Do you want to do another thing in between my birthdays, or do you want me to go all birthdays? No, go all birthdays, because after that I have a review. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. Our next birthday, you know, I'll go in terms of age, which also happens to be alphabetical order. (laughs) Oh, fuck yourself. (laughs) All right. So happy birthday. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Ooh. You know, since it's your 30th birthday, we're pretty close in age. I feel like I'm pretty close to you, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And you recently had a birthday as well. Exactly. So I feel like I can say this. Mm -hmm. I like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. More than Raiders of the Lost Ark. I said it. I said it. Unpopular opinion. I know. I have to agree with you, which is why we're meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) I love Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Everything about it is amazing. And I get that there would be no Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade without Raiders. Not just because it's it's the same franchise, but because there'd be no movies like that without Raiders for the most part nowadays. Yeah. And I get that and I respect that and I love Raiders and it's it's tough to choose, but it, I, I do have to just, I have to let it all out there. And I know this is going to lose me some followers on, I'm sure, someplace maybe. I don't know. Please don't. <laughs> well, feel free to talk about it to me if you see me in person. I mean, 
Yeah, I'd take a civilized yeah. conversation. Get back about at us. It. We'd love to have a conversation. <laughs> but I think Last Crusade between the opening sequences, which is one of my op- favorite opening sequences of all time. Oh, yeah. With young Indiana Jones, River Phoenix, you know, finding the cross of Coronado, running across the field, getting on that train car with the circus train. Yep. And you see how he gets how he gets his whip in his head. Whips <laughs> himself. Face. That's how he gets his Harrison Ford scar. Yep. How he, you know, gets out of the magic box, goes to his father. The father immediately establishes that the father loves Latin. He's writing in a diary. There's Indiana Jones, the dog, mm-hmm. or Indiana, the dog on the floor. The other adventurer gives Indiana the hat and goes, you lost today, kid. It doesn't mean you have to like it. The hat goes down, comes back up. Boom. We're in another shot. Indiana Jones is getting cannonball punched to the face. Classic Jones. And he's still after the cross as, as the adventurer, archaeologist, professor we all know and love. And he gets the cross, brings it back to the museum because it belongs in a museum. <laughs> it belongs in a museum. So do you. And that opening sequence alone, and there are very few movies where the opening sequence is so good, mm-hmm. you could just walk into the theater and feel like your money's been been well spent. Yep. That's one of them. Then you've got Sean Connery as Henry Jones Sr. Mm-hmm. Nazis are back. The best bad guys you can get. <laughs> I mean, you really you really can't beat. I mean, Temple of Dune tried with the uh, the cult. Mm-hmm. But you really can't beat the Nazis. It's just a really good like like you can watch Indiana Jones kill them all day because why not? You've also fuck the Nazis. Exactly. <laughs> you've also got awesome returning characters like you've got Denholm Elliott as Marcus Brody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, R.I.P. No, he died not long after. You've got John Reese Davies as Sala again, coming back from Raiders, and he was one of the best part of part of Raiders. Mm-hmm. You've got Julian Glover as the main bad guy, Walter Donovan. Now, a lot of people don't know this when I tell them, but A, Julian Glover was also in Empire Strikes Back a few years earlier from really? this as the commander of one of the AT-ATs who march on Hoth. It's a bit part. He's wearing a giant helmet and he talks to Lord Vader. Oh, well, for then a how bit. are we supposed to know? Because it still looks like him. Oh. I mean, it's still him and it's a little part. But then a lot of people don't know that he is actually in Game of Thrones as well. So he's a little older now, obviously, but um, it's also some makeup on him, I'm sure, to make him look that much older. Mm-hmm. And he plays Grand Maester Pycelle in Game of Thrones, Cersei's oh and the King's Landing's Maester, the uh, the the creepy little old pervert guy who's just it's like, why do you still work here? Just clearly, <laughs> clearly you're just here because you've always been here. Um, he's tenured. They can't get rid of him. Basically, he does nothing. <laughs> there's there's literally just scenes of him pooping. I didn't know that for the longest time. And then there was an interview with him. And I was just like, oh, man, that's awesome. So a lot of people don't know that. There's a little fun fact about uh, characters from Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. <laughs> Another fun fact about that. Now it's a birthday. Here's a fun birthday fact. Mm-hmm. So Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was originally meant to be George Lucas. had really wanted to be a ghost story in a haunted mansion. So the mansion that they visit um, about midway through the film when they're finally going to save uh, Indiana's dad mm-hmm. was supposed to be, basically be the focus of the movie. The Nazis were had taken over this haunted house huh. and there was something in the haunted house Indiana Jones needed or something like that. So the whole movie kind of revolved around ghosts and a haunted house and stuff like that. So it was kind of Indiana Jones versus a horror movie, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford absolutely hated the idea. So they kind of nixed it, but still kept the house in, a, in you know, a good part of the film. The mansion seems great. You know, Indiana Jones as the uh, kind of effeminate art critic, you know, sneezing and slapping the <laughs> guy with the glove and then knocking him out. 
saving his dad who cares more about the vase he accidentally hits over his head than his own son and the rotating door, you know, the fire scene, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. is is kind of leftovers from this original Indiana Jones 3 that almost was. Some fun facts, some trivia fun facts. to our favorite professor of archaeology, Henry Jones Jr. <laughs> he prefers Indiana. <laughs> Who's looking at you, Harrison Ford? Then I've got my third birthday. It is the 20th birthday of Star Wars. Episode one, The Phantom Menace. Wow. It's the first one that I saw in the theater. Not the first one I saw. <laughs> I saw the um, re-releases first in the theater. Oh, snap. Okay. So did you. Yeah. Yeah. I take it back. So. My grandpa took me to see some. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace was is always going to be one of my favorites because it was A, released on my birthday in 1999. Ooh. May 19th, 1999. Yeah, you can't beat that. You always have like the summer blockbuster timing. Oh, yeah. And when it lands on a weekend, it means it comes out on my birthday. Yep. So I remember being in fifth grade. It was my birthday. It was my first birthday. I got to take off from school and go watch the early <laughs> show, like the, the matinee show of this at the old Cherry Street Theater in Milford, Connecticut. Oh, um, R.I.P. Yeah. Going in, sitting down, watching this movie, being blown away by it. And I, I know in episode one gets a lot of, of crap. The dialogue, yes, is kind of hokey. It's got some good lines. And it's got a lot to like about it, but it's also not. Oh, yeah. It's fun. It's less for adults than I think adults want it to be. Well, like I was complaining about Sonic the Hedgehog is for people in their 30s. Star Wars, you know, 1977 was the original release date. You're looking at 22 years now mm-hmm. since the original came out that episode one comes out. People are expecting something maybe a little more mature, something a little bit more deep. And they're getting something a little bit more meant for kids of, of, of the time. I feel like that's why it gets a bum rap because it is a little bit more geared toward kids of that time. Yeah. Than it was, than the original was. But it did its job because Star Wars needed to get a new generation of people excited for it. And I feel like it did that oh, really yeah. well. Mission accomplished. You got Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Great casting choice. Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon mm-hmm. Jinn. R.I.P. Died too soon. Also, spoiler alerts for a, a, a 20-year-old movie. Uh, <laughs> I don't think spoiler alerts <laughs> necessary. <laughs> R.I.P. Qui-Gon. They introduced Darth Maul, although also R.I.P. Darth Maul. Or is he? Wink, wink. <laughs> Um, Natalie Portman, Keira Knightley. Natalie Portman's character. Um, it does kind of launch Keira Knightley's career, but that's kind of like not why people like. That's not one of the things that people like about episode one when they pointed out. Yeah, that's true. The lightsaber also made me confuse the two actresses like for a very long time. I never thought they looked alike, other than with the makeup on. They don't look <laughs> without. Um, Duel of the Fates, an Epic. amazing song. Yep. John, well, that's one of John Williams' best scores is episode one. Yeah. It's like everything he learned from the last Star Wars movie is all combined into this one. And you still hear Duel of Fates today and you're like, that is just a really epic, great song. Mm-hmm. The lightsaber duel at the end is super well done. It's the first time you see like Jedi and Sith in their prime fighting instead of a robot uh, with asthma and an 80-year-old man fighting in the hangar bay. This is the first time you actually see a real lightsaber battle, and it is amazing. The pod racing sequence as well. Like, people don't like it, but it's a fun sequence. It's fun. Yeah, maybe it's a little too long. It's like, okay, why is Space NASCAR in Mm. this movie? (laughs) I get that, but you can't deny that it's an exciting time, that it's not well done, and that it didn't make you fall in love with Star Wars Racer on the Nintendo 64. Oh, that was going to be my next point, was like, absolutely, bringing in all the young fans. Like, Pod Racer on N64 is part of what made me hooked on video games when I was younger. It's an amazing video game. By the way, EA Games, if you're listening to this, please bring back Racer. Let's go. <laughs> it's hard. You'd be hard pressed to find someone our age who was really into Star Wars back then and did not have a Pod Racer toy or Star Wars Racer, the game. Mm-hmm. 
or the Lego sets. Something. You know, Jar Jar Binks, everyone hates him. When I was little, I loved him. I understand maybe how he might come off as a little offensive nowadays, but he still has his moments. He's he's still a little charming, if not annoying. Yeah. And it's the first one of a trilogy. And I think if you want to blame the story, that story not going anywhere with what you want with your Vader's, that's just giving you a backstory of like where Anakin came from. You look at episode two as, as a kind of, you could have done more with Anakin <laughs> and the story in general. You know, a lot of people give yeah. episode one crap as the worst of the prequels, but I would dare say no. episode two is unwatchable for me. I've not been able to watch that film past like the first 15 minutes after they do their Coruscant scene, which is well done. I fall asleep and I don't wake up until Yoda says begun the Clone Wars have and the credits roll. <laughs> and that should say something because you know me, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Yeah. I got Star Wars looking at this apartment right now. I've got a pile of Star Wars pop figures right there. I've got Mm -hmm. Star Wars posters and toys and video games. And I cannot watch one of the movies without falling asleep every time. And you don't fall asleep during movies. I don't. So stop giving episode one crap. Direct your attention to episode two, which (laughs) I will not be doing a happy birthday for. (laughs) So there. So happy birthday, episode one and Star Wars in general. May the force be with you. That's 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 not the end of my spiel. (laughs) <laughs> I've got no more spiels left to give. Continue your review. Well, the review I've got for you, I I wish I was more excited about, to be completely honest. So I watched Wine Country on Netflix, which is, it stars Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph, Anna Gasteyer, Rachel Dratch, which is like the SNL dream team from back in the day. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> And it's directed by Amy Poehler, written by Emily Spivey, uh, who's also in the movie and I guess who also used to write for Sat- for Saturday Night Live. Um, I don't know what era she wrote for. Also written by Liz Kakowski, who has had smaller but like really funny roles in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Neighbors, uh, Popstar. Um, and she also makes an appearance in this movie as the uppity owner of an organic winery in Napa Valley. But yeah, I mean, the the opening scene is a phone call between friends who are planning a birthday trip for Rachel Dratch's character. Uh, She's turning 50 and it's a mechanism used to establish everyone's role in the group. And they managed to hit on every possible stereotype. (laughs) I I was pleasantly surprised to see Tina Fey show up very early in the movie. She has a a great cameo, um, a a slightly recurring character, not major. But the, the fact that they mistook her for a ghost in in a group selfie when she appears unannounced and then she says things she's kind of bringing them through the property that they're all staying at for this birthday party bash it was funny but it also seemed like a very heavy-handed way to foreshadow everything that was going to go wrong over the birthday weekend um and from the first night of their vacation it got really cringy really fast I I would have kicked them out of my restaurant for the way that they were acting. They stayed there way too long. It was they were more obnoxious than a group of teenagers, I think. Also, there is no way that that group of women in their 50s could have consumed that many bottles of wine and still been up and functional by 7 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had a, a tarot car reading by Cherry Jones, who is really funny. I, I like her a lot. But again, very weird. And they they basically spend the first 40 to 50 minutes of this movie talking about how bad this weekend could be and what is going to go wrong. And it it did pick up for a little while when they are when they actually do get to the winery, um, which is probably you you would see it in the the trailer. It's basically the best part of the movie. <laughs> 
Jason Schwartzman comes in as he he plays kind of the the house cook slash tour guide slash bus driver. And he he's the only thing that really lifts the spirit of the movie and provides some some actual comic relief. But then it lost me again during this scene at an art gallery where it got very preachy. And maybe that was the point of it. But it really it just drove home that I I'm not the target audience for this movie. And I don't know if they know what the target audience for this movie was either. And also, and I I know this is going to sound stereotypical, but I really wish that people would learn the difference between millennials and Generation Z and stop completely shitting on millennials. But yeah, I by that point, I was already done with the movie. You you came home at this point in the movie and I, I was already ready to turn it off. The, the downer parts really outweighed the funny parts. And it, that's just not what I signed up for when I wanted to watch this movie. I was really excited because the the cast, like I said, it, it includes some of the the most notable, extremely funny and talented women, you know, the powerhouses of that Saturday Night Live era. And it, I just I cannot endorse this movie. I, I would have turned it off had I not promised myself to review it for everyone. And I, I wish I had better things to say. I really do. Can I say some stuff about what I saw in it? <laughs> yes, please. So Rachel Dratch and Anna Gasteyer don't do enough stuff. They were like the best parts of Saturday Night Live when they were on there. Yeah. This was crap. And here's how I know it's crap. <laughs> and I will probably say this again in Forgotten Cinema as well, if I haven't said it already. Mm-hmm. When I talk about films as someone who's an actor, someone who's been in stuff, someone who's a cinephile, has watched a ton of stuff. My least favorite thing about movies and acting mm-hmm. and watching actors is when I can, when I'm watching them on screen, what glosses over is actually the script. I can see the script in my head. Like I'm reading the <laughs> script. You're not, I'm not watching you act this part or say these lines. I'm watching, I'm watching the script being read in front of me. And you might as well it. be watching the table read. Exactly. It's just awful. And it's not just the way they're, they're, they're saying it. Although I don't know if there's a way to say it where it comes across as human. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like the whoever the writers are like, those are my lines. Just say my lines. Your lines are crap. Your lines are bad. Yeah. Your lines are writing. They are great on paper, maybe, but not in in in, in when you're saying it. And the director should say, stop, give this idea out. Uh-huh. But don't say these words because these words are an idea, not an actual thing that somebody would say. So that that's when I came in and I heard them. And it was during the scene when they've recreated their old pizza place, I guess. Yeah. And they're talking and they start arguing. And saying things like, for your friends, don't do this and that. And they're just hammering home the theme of the movie in in dialogue, mm-hmm. not hiding it or anything. And I'm just reading the page as it goes by. The, the script is scrolling up. Amy, like I'm seeing Amy Poehler, space, line, dialogue. <laughs> this is not how friends act. Really? Is that where you're going? I don't think so. And stop it with what you're saying. You think you don't have time? You're too busy for us? You say you're like it, it reads yeah. like a college student's semester one script that the, the your, your your professor is supposed to go over and say, OK, you were town telling the story. Now let's go over it again with mm-hmm. draft two <laughs> to make the dialogue conceal your theme. It was it was painful to watch at times. That's not the only thing I've seen like that. It, it <laughs> felt like it felt like the female version of Grown Ups, where it's Adam Sandler and all of his, you know, all the his group of friends, they get together and they just pump out crap. Yeah. yeah. Although his is, I mean, yeah, it could just be them having a vacation, but there's just seeing his is just lazy. This is just bad. <laughs> <laughs> and his is bad too, but it's bad lazy. This is bad. Bad, amateur. bad. 
<laughs> I feel like this is bad amateur. It's not bad, bad. I've seen worse. Oh, yeah. But you're right. When you say cringy, that's 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 why it's cringy. That's why when you're watching it, you're cringing mm-hmm. because they are reading lines and not saying human dialogue. Yeah, exactly. That's that's not something that you actually speak out loud. Blech. <laughs> <laughs> Now I want to go back and watch some old SNL just to refresh my palate of these these actresses. Womp womp. You want to watch some Debbie Downer? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, on I've that st- note, I've still got more more of my beer to drink, but I think we've taken up enough of these kind folks time. Next week, we'll be back with hopefully some lighter reviews, some better news. That's all we got. It's time to go to the plugs and thanks. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We've been drinking Banded Brewing's Viridian Indian Pale Ale. Delicious. Hopefully you'll give it a try. It's available at pretty much every liquor store around here anyway. Yeah. In the Northeast. So yeah, give it a try. We rate it highly. Hmm. Thanks for listening to us. Cheers. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this week's episode. And if you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and subscribe to catch our future episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Kraken1Open. And if you like the sound of my voice, I've got two other podcasts for you to listen to. I've got Two Player Bros with my brother Alex, where we talk about all things video game related. Previews, news, reviews on Xbox, PlayStation, PC, VR, mobile, you name it, we got it. So that is Two Player Bros available wherever podcasts can be found. You can also visit us online at twoplayerbros.com. And on the social meds as well. I've also got Forgotten Cinema that I do with my buddy Mike Field. A podcast where in each episode we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or maybe the movie just didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe what we don't love about it, and decide whether the movie is worth a revisit. So if you like that podcast, once again, that is Forgotten Cinema with my buddy Mike Field, available wherever podcasts can be found. You can also visit us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. And a special thanks for our theme, which was composed and performed by Joe Reichert. Till next time. Cheers.